the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 453 for Wednesday, June 12th, 2013. Greetings, folks. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We provide answers to the questions. We poll the community for more tips and cool stuff found. And together, the goal is for all of us, me included, to learn something new about the Mac and Apple and technology and life in general here at the uh, at, at, at and around the Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference here in San Francisco. I'm Dave Hamilton. Uh, and here in boring old Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. <laughs> you should come out for WWDC one year. You would love it. I should. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, because, <laughs> uh, you know, like you, well, uh, uh, number one, you did, uh, I think, wonderful live coverage of the uh, of the keynote there. Thanks. But, um, gosh, what did uh, uh, Tim say? That it sold out in like a minute? 73 like 90, seconds is not, Apple's like, official number. So under two minutes. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's kind of upsetting. You know, I mean, it's a, I've been to other industry events here, and it's like, well, I guess that's how, much, how many people they can accommodate. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, they could, they could restructure the event to accommodate more people. Um, it, but it would, it would therefore naturally change – uh, the way it works. I did not get a ticket for WWDC proper either. I got a, a press badge that was only good for the keynote and then turned uh, turned into a pumpkin. But um, uh, so I was able to see that. But uh, because I'm a registered developer, and I think you are too, John, uh, you can watch yes. all of the sessions and they're they're out now, like sessions from yesterday and possibly even sessions from this morning are already out. Um, they're pushing them out really fast. So, so there's good stuff. Obviously the stuff other than the keynote, the stuff in the sessions is, is all under, uh, Apple's NDA, but, uh, for background stuff, John, at the very least watching the session. And I recommend this to all developers who are not here and didn't see, or didn't see it. Even if you are here watching Apple's platforms, state of the union, which is the presentation that happens right after the keynote goes into a lot more depth on a few of the things that happened uh, or that were announced in the keynote. And really, certainly if you're a developer, gives you uh, some valuable information that you just need. And and even for, for us kind of covering this industry, John, even though we can't talk about it, it gives us background information, which is, again, hugely valuable uh, just to kind of have to better understand the way things work. So, so yeah, yeah. no, it's fun. Um, but the I, logistics, I got to say, I was very impressed because uh, a few of us uh, had a, a Mac roundtable about it. And the thing is, they had, and I don't know if they've always done this. They seem to be getting better. I, I seem to recall that they didn't always have this, but they had the video up uh, like within, a, I think, a couple hours of it ending. Mm. Well, and they had the live stream going, too, that you could watch during the event. Right. Yeah. So number one, they had the live stream. Number two, they had the, you know, after the fact, they had it available to people who, uh, you know, were, were unable to catch it live so uh well that was very helpful because <laughs> so we could figure out what to talk about but, yeah that's uh, right good stuff yeah, yeah so, stuff. so so i don't I, know if you want to dive into the keynote there but, 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 but my first my first impression is that everybody everybody presented 
very well. Uh, I think you commented that that some people looked like they had coaching. I, I think some had more than others, but to me, it was very smooth, very energetic, very uh, inspiring. Uh, you know, I, from what all all the guys presented, and and even the the Johnny Ive thing, I thought uh, you know got kind of philosophical. I, I thought that was that was pretty neat too. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, I, I agree with you that that every, the presentations were well. They were they were done well. Uh, people were appropriately emotional i think is is probably the right way to say that um but uh yeah i thought it was really interesting you know for weeks recent in recent weeks and then certainly even over the last couple of months uh apple has publicly uh mentioned tim cook uh, sorry mentioned johnny ive as one of the key people around whom the company is hung right on on whose back this this company is going to rest right now and uh and I wondered, and he was there. I saw him before the keynote. He was actually chit-chatting with Al Gore and, and Tim Cook. But uh, but if you've watched the keynote, you know this. And if you haven't, Johnny Ive never appeared on stage. He uh, he appeared in the keynote in the fashion that, thankfully for Apple, I think, he always has, so there was no change. He was in pre-produced videos talking about things and, and very well-spoken and, and uh, as he always is. But it's Isn't interesting. that weird? Is he just not good at live presenting? I, I suppose it? that's the case. You know, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, oh, yeah, we've never seen him speak live, and that's not true. Um, at the Steve Jobs, I'll call it eulogy, or, or uh, they, they did a thing on the Apple campus uh, within the week after Steve passed, and Coldplay performed, and they had various people speak. And one of those people was Johnny Ive. And I seem to remember him being very well-spoken. And, you know, uh, uh, what he said was very heartfelt. So I'm not sure why they don't put him on stage. Maybe he gets – maybe maybe he, he doesn't prefer to speak live. Maybe he has um, a fear of that. You, you know, I mean, there's – listen, live live speaking isn't for everyone. But but I, I just thought it was interesting that they, they used him in, in that capacity. Thankfully for them, though, this is nothing new. He's been doing it that way ever since – you know, uh, he's been at the company. Hmm. So, um, yeah. So we're getting some comments in the chat room of people saying, yeah, he's, he's just not dynamic. He's, he's a little too methodical. And so it's better to have him in, in bite-sized chunks perhaps. And I will say hello to everyone in the chat room at MacGeekGub.com slash stream joining us in this weird for us time slot, uh, in the middle of a Wednesday. But, uh, but thank you. And, and we actually, I really do want to thank the folks in the chat room, John, because, uh, they were on our mobile setup, which doesn't have at 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 home in the in the studio. I can hear what I hear in my ears is what's being recorded to tape. So if something's missing, I know it immediately. With the mobile setup, I apparently mm. uh, or evidently don't get that. Uh, but thankfully, the people in the chat room do. So they told us earlier before the show started that they couldn't hear you, John, or couldn't hear the music or whatever, and and so we sorted that out. So thanks, folks. But uh, yeah. yeah, John, let's let's take in a quotes, little bit. Go ahead. Well, one of the quotes that I liked. So, so to get get to his video, which I think was was very good to uh, express Apple's design philosophy. But but one of the statements, the, the and I'm taking it from from you know another podcast they did. But but I thought it was just a very powerful statement that he made, and it really summed up I think what Apple does. And and it's a short one here. But he said, "True simplicity is derived from so much more than the absence of clutter and ornamentation. It's about bringing order to complexity." And that's just such a designer, yeah, <laughs> designer statement. Um, and it actually brings me back to another phrase that I've heard people bring up as of late: is um, 
and I think it was in something uh, long ago. I, 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 I don't think it's published anymore called the Macintosh Bible. But, but it basically had, and one of their commandments was um, easy is hard and hard is easy. And that it's really yep. easy to make something that's hard to use, but it's really hard to make something that's easy to use. And I think that, that dovetails in, into this statement is that, it, it, you know, you still get the feeling when you use most Apple stuff or almost all Apple stuff with a couple of exceptions, you get the feeling that somebody thought about the user experience and how to make your life totally. better and, and make it easier and make it intuitive. Um, you know, others do it as well, but I think Apple, uh, you know, uh, usually gets it right the first time. The first time we see it. Yes. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, they're clearly, they, they, they clearly work on an iterative process, um, and aren't afraid to throw things out and start over when they realize it's a problem. Um, I, I, um, I oh, know, that was another one. I, I, I just want to punch this one in here. The, the other one is the intro, the very first video. Yeah. And this is what I love. The very first, I think, the, the video that they showed at the beginning, one of the other statements that, that struck me as very powerful is there are a thousand no's for every yes. Yep. I, yeah. <laughs> Which I, I think That's is powerful. exactly what, what you just, uh, your observation is, you know, a lot is happening behind the scenes that you never, you never see the, the blood and gore <laughs> involved in designing something improperly. Totally. We see the final product. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like with iOS 7, I mean, obviously they're, they're making a huge change. Uh, and, and I think it's necessary to, to make a change. You know, the, the iOS 6 is ba- basically the, the same generic uh, type of UI as I, as iOS one was. I mean, it's changed over over time, but but it's the same foundation, and uh, and iOS seven obviously is them moving a little more forward, and it's a move that they couldn't have made without Retina screens. You know, it, it used to be that they were doing their best with shadows and shading to compensate for the fact that edges were going to be rough uh, or pixelated because you could see it, and now with uh, iOS 7, of course, it runs, I believe, only on Retina devices, and and the edges are actually celebrated as edges. You know, there's hard edges, and and I think that's good. It it makes for a cleaner design, and but but they, um, I, what I worry about is there's, and I noticed this during the keynote, and and dug into it a little bit more last night, and I even put up an article on TMO today. That there's a lot of inconsistency, and I think it's, I'm not sure that we can chalk that up to being, well, it's beta. And, and, and specifically what I'm talking about is in the buttons, um, which is something Apple is really touting as this big part. You know, if you look in Safari on iOS 7, and you can see this online. There's nothing um, confidential about any of this. Uh, I pulled screenshots from, from their pages online. Uh, you know, Safari has these one pixel wide, very clean type buttons, uh, wireframe almost, no words. And then you look in the music app and it's got these much richer buttons with color and words underneath them. And then you look in the photos app and it's sort of this hybrid of the two where you've got sort of wireframes that are somewhat filled in, but still having words. And I get that it's a beta, but it's a beta being shown to developers saying, follow what we're doing here so that your apps match what we're doing when we release iOS 7. So I, I, I'm curious to see where this shakes out. Um, like or hate the new UI, I, I, I'm more focused on, can you please just deliver something consistent so that developers know what to do? And we'll, we'll find out. So, Okay. Um, maybe yep. a bit about 
OS ten point nine. Yeah, can, yeah. I, I, you you read my mind. Let's let's dig into some of the cool stuff in well, in Mavericks. We've been doing this for uh, it, not yet. I'm sorry, it's not yet, Dave. Right? Isn't it tomorrow? Tomorrow. Yes. Is it tomorrow our big day? Tomorrow is what the big, big day. day. May may some of you may be wondering what is tomorrow, and it's our birthday. It is. <laughs> Right, Dave. Yeah, June thirteenth will will mark eight years of us doing this show. Yeah, happy birthday, John. Happy anniversary, I guess, is a more appropriate term. <laughs> Better buy some flowers or something. Yes, but um, I'm sure. so OS ten point nine. So I'll get it out of the way right at the beginning. I would have been thrilled that they call if they called it Sea Lion. I thought he was joking for us. Uh, I, I actually, I. But I, I would have, you know, personally, I would have liked that, versus, including the sea lion. I mean, you know, it's very San Francisco. You can go to yeah. the, uh, yeah, totally. you know, you can go to Fisherman's Wharf and you can see the, uh, I think they're sea lions, right? They are. They're, you know, hanging yep. out there. And uh, yep. But Mavericks, to, to me, it, it, it almost got kind of snooty. Like, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, if you're from California and a surfer, then you'll know what Mavericks is. Otherwise, you won't have a clue. Well, there was that big movie last year, Surfing Mavericks, that was, that was, uh, it was actually quite oh, yeah. popular. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, no, come on. <laughs> so the name, uh, okay, you know, they're taking a different direction. But, it was actually uh, I, a fantastic movie. I okay. highly recommend uh, it. I, okay, but, but I'm just saying that Mavericks uh, will be lost to most of the world as, as far as what is the significance. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, was there a significance to cats? Well, everybody knew what they were. You know, I mean, almost everybody knows what different, you know, felines. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it resonates with most people, but Mavericks, it, it, to me, is very, you know, northern. I think it's northern California specific. So, yeah. whatever. Okay, so let's get past, move, let's move past the name uh, because we're not going to care about it. it, we, it right. See, I, I am, I am uh, in a, a self-restrained uh, 72 hour period here because change resistance is something that's normal in everyone at to different degrees, of course. And, uh, but 72 hours is, is typically what it takes for, uh, us as humans to begin to start to get over that. So I, I have, I have, uh, no opinions on, on any of these names or, you know, any of that stuff yet. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. um, so my first question, have you grokked or, or has, have they published any information as far as the hardware requirements i fear that my i don't i don't think they Mac, have because i think uh, i'm gonna guess that my macbook pro early 2008 may not uh may not be eligible yeah i'm sure my mini no, is I, I have a 2010 mini so i'm sure that the mini will run it but i don't know if they're gonna build in if they're gonna include some of the you know older hardware like my macbook pro yeah um yeah, and I can't dig into I off the top of my head I honestly don't know what the developer preview requires um and uh, the places that I Oh, duh. Look. Well, well, let, let me download it and see if it installs. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good test. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That that's right. Yeah. Um it's um I, I have not installed it yet, so so I I have no fear of breaking any uh any NDAs. The 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 thing, you know, there's there's listen the finder finder with tabs this is a good thing it, you know and it seems finally i know it seems like it's because i know you love tabs for certain apps and and i think oh well, you know personally though i mean i'm still a total finder fan and and i hope yeah. they, they still get business because 
uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, what what Apple has done is, you know, like people call it, you know, they they Sherlocked it, right? Which is basically, you know, they they put a feature in the OS, which uh, you know, an independent developer had uh, come up with previously, and and it's going to happen. Yeah, but I think totally. Total Finder is is still worth, uh, in my mind, the 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 money for the functionality it offers, and I think Apple will do a basic implementation, but Total Finder is still, uh, hopefully. Uh, offer some move there. Uh, there but, right. but so I nice want to dig into some of the tech details, but I want to dig into some of the techie stuff. But I, 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 you brought up a point that now we have to address is the Sherlocking thing. Uh, and, and certainly uh, it can be argued that one password um, is in that situation now because of iCloud keychain. But, you know, I have a, a, a thought on this. BusyCal, had they released BusyCal before iCal came out and they did not but had they done that then the same thing would have been said about BusyCal oh my god Apple's released a calendar app uh you're gonna be Sherlocked you know um and 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 Sherlocked is the term we use because Sherlock was one of the first um search things that that Spotlight sort of usurped its purpose and and off it went but um but if you look at what happened, that's that's not what happened with BusyCal. In fact, iCal existed before BusyCal ever was conceived, or certainly before it hit the market. And they hit the market anyway and pitched themselves as iCal Pro, uh, or now Calendar Pro. And they've had a great run of success with that because Apple you know, focuses on very specific things and making things very simple for people to use. Uh and and that doesn't provide all the features that everyone wants, and that's what opens the door to these third parties, and it's why BusyCal could enter the market after iCal was released. And I think 1Password um, and, and people like Total Finder uh, have the ability now to, you know, capitalize on this, say, hey, look, you know, Apple's included this, this is really important, and you can certainly go with Apple's implementation, or if you want it to work on all your browsers and not just Safari, and if you want it to do these other features like secure notes and all this and, and tie it all together uh, and sync with your Windows machines and use Chrome and all of that, then you use 1Password. And, and Total Finder has the same situation because they have way more features than just the tabs. Yes, that's the biggest one. That's one of the most popular ones, but it's not the only thing it does. So I, I think these companies are okay or could be okay if they play their cards right. But let's get into the tech, can we? Can we? Can we uh, oh yes. Well, can, here's here. Uh, so I'm I'm going to throw out one one tech thing that I think is really powerful. Yeah, go. Compressed memory. Yeah. So how much of this? It, it, I, I, this is one thing. I'm glad you brought it up because I've been looking forward for three days to talking about this with you. So uh, what do you what do you understand about this compressed memory thing? I, I'm I'm curious. Well, to me, it, it looks like they're basically. So the way it works now is that you have two types of memory. You have active and inactive. And a lot of times, recently used memory um, is put in an inactive state. And right. my understanding is that basically the compressed memory will take that inactive stuff and, it, well, I guess, again, compress it. <laughs> it. It's more efficient memory management is is basically my takeaway from that. Interesting. That okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this makes sense. So, so it's actually compressing, like like data compression, the stuff that's in inactive memory, and because it's in inactive memory, it's safe to compress it because, well, let, let's look at it this way, right? If you would run out of RAM, what it would do is it would take the stuff in inactive memory and save it off to the disk, which is infinitely slower than reading from RAM. 
And so what they're doing is finding sort of a middle ground. Uh, reading something that's compressed requires it to be decompressed, but that's still way faster than reading from the disc. So Right. So what yeah. they're doing is, is it's, and I think it's, and looking at it, to me, it makes sense, especially since they introduced something like, uh, you know, some of the newer uh, uh, MacBook Airs, which have relatively uh, little RAM and hard drive, especially if you get a, a SSD versus some of the, you know, like the MacBook Pro. So I think it makes sense because I, I think you're, you're still, especially with like the MacBook Air, you're pushing the limits if if you run any amount of apps and all that, you're you're gonna reach the point where you're gonna run out of RAM or start hitting the uh, the hard drive. So to me, it makes sense to, to to make that process more efficient. And actually, you know, I just did a quick search here on on the Googles, and uh, you know, what's funny is that you know things uh, kind of come around. Is uh, remember um, RAM doubler? Oh, that's what it did. I think basically what what they're doing is very similar to something called. A, a product way in the past called RAM Doubler, which basically kind of did the same thing. It, it was using compression to effectively give you more available RAM that than you actually had. Oh, so it's wow. nice to see it. Yeah, that makes I I'd totally forgotten about RAM Doubler. Huh? Huh? Well, okay, yeah. so that's cool. That's um, you know, the, the okay. So the other thing I I wanted to uh, talk about was AppNap, right? Where it's intelligently putting things to sleep in the background, right? Um, or only waking things up in the back, waking things up in the background less frequently. And it seemed like from from what we saw in the keynote that this was happening not when an app was, and, and I may be kind of blending in what's happening with Safari's power saver with AppNab, but it, it it was when the app was visible and it didn't matter if it was foreground or not, um, if you, you know, if you moved, if an app was in the background and visible, and this is certainly true with the Safari power saver, it still runs at full tilt. But as soon as you slide another window in front of it, off it goes, which I think is cool. You know, that kind of bothered me though, in that I kind of assumed with my background, having all these pieces of paper saying I know about computers and stuff, but I was actually kind of surprised that an app that's doing graphics if it's not visible, it's actually chewing up processor doing that. Yeah. I, I I kind of assumed that the OS was smart enough. It's like, well, if you can't see it, why should I be doing this? But apparently, well, think about uh, it. Though. OS ten and maybe even Windows and other OSs are, you know, kind of. To me, I, I I almost would think that's kind of a natural. It should be a natural feature of an OS is that you know if you can't see if. If I'm rendering something, but the person can't see it, maybe I shouldn't render it. <laughs> that, that, I agree with you. Right? Yes, totally. But I, but only in the circumstance where uh, it is being rendered for the sole purpose of the person at the computer viewing it. Right. So if you're mm -hmm. doing some other sort of rendering in the background that that you you know is or is it some other sort of rendering that that's got like um, you're going to save out to a file when it's finished or whatever that should continue in the background, right? You know, perhaps with lower CPU priority or something, but um, but it, you still want it to happen. But yes, with, with a web browser, which is a very specific thing, games might also be considered in this in this category, right? As soon mm. as it's in the background, if or as soon as it's invisible, um, then yeah, there's no reason to, 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 to generate it, um, at least not as fast. 
yeah, it's cool. I, yeah. I, um, and it, yeah, it seems like AppNap. It, I mean, this Safari Power Saver is sort of part of of this AppNap thing, where um, it, it's 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 hiding or it's it's deprioritizing and even even stopping some apps running in the background. I think it's awesome. Hmm. I think it's awesome. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Now another thing. Thank goodness, Dave, because I think it'll result in relatively fewer questions for us. But you probably noticed this too. But apparently, somebody noticed that their multiple display support. Uh, currently sucks. Somebody at Apple got a second it's, it's, display. It's, 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 very, it's very inconsistent. Oh, it's not inconsistent. It, it, it just well, it sucks. Doesn't work, it, doesn't work, it doesn't work the way people would like it to. Full screen mode with multiple displays doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, multiple displays works. But yeah, well, no, you're right. Because they, they've solved the full screen mode issue. Uh, you can have an app in full screen on one display and still Windows on the other. Or an app in full screen on every or all of your displays. Um, but then they also, um, um, allow you to have the dock on all displays, which is, you know, super handy. So that's good. Yeah. 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 And, uh, another thing I think we, we, we talked about the, um, well, we talked about iCloud keychain, right? Yes. Now the thing is that, well, let's. I, I, I mean, we didn't. We, we didn't talk too much about it. We referenced it with one password. Uh, iCloud Keychain will manage your passwords for Safari and sync them amongst all your devices, including your iOS devices, which is right. cool. Yeah, because if I recall, Mobile Me did this only amongst your Macs. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it so did. it's nice to see that, and I don't think it's going to, you know, like. Uh, you know, again, the whole Sherlock thing, but I don't think it's going to displace people. Like, I, I'm a LastPass fan. I, I love LastPass. Right. I think you're a one-password fan. Yep. And and uh, you know, this this is a basic functionality that probably should have been there to begin with. Um, but the other thing I noticed, David, was in an article that you wrote or someone wrote. But I, I think that the, the people have suggested that they're going to introduce a iCloud reset, which. Is something a lot of us uh, did, did. Did you pen that or someone? Uh, I, I thought someone at TMO penned it. Um, if I were to have penned it, then it would. I don't think I, I certainly had nothing to do with it being penned at TMO. Um, and uh, because I'm pretty sure that wasn't announced in the keynote. Why don't we say it that way? All right. Okay. All, all I know is that I I, I did see, but I articles. have seen it on the web else. I, yes. I don't know if we did it at TMO or not. To be to be brutally honest. Um, okay. But, but yes, but I've seen people. Uh, in, in, now maybe they broke the NDA, which is you know sounds sad. like they might. But have. um, well, but you know, I mean, the the thing is, Dave. I mean, the, the the based on the number of and especially my horror show of you know iCloud not working right with the documents and settings and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, to me, it's not a big revelation that maybe this should be a feature that that should be. Oh, can you imagine uh, so, what support requests would, for Apple would be like if it was if a developer or a, 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 you know an app developer could could tell a customer look you just got to reset your data and could actually reset it on the cloud that'd be awesome so yeah i'm looking right. forward to that coming yeah so so i saw suggestions that they're going to offer to the user a way to clean the icloud slate when things get screwed up like in my case i definitely saw it it was like permissions were wrong and everything was totally munged oh yeah <laughs> to be technical <laughs> yeah and I, I i was lucky enough to be able to rebuild it to a state where it was usable but yeah they they need to um yeah, that, that that needed to happen. iCloud's good, but it could be better. Yeah. What yeah. else? What else in the What else in the OS caught your uh, attention? Um, you know, I'm trying to look here. It may be it may be time. 
I mean, there's some other geeky things, uh, but uh, you know the t- whole timer coalescing thing, where they're trying to just make it more power efficient. I, I think is is mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, it, uh, yeah. I'm, oh, I, I think I like I'm ready to move on to to iOS seven when you're we, go. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah. One last thing, I saw maps. What I thought was very clever, and again, just the you know somebody put thought into this is yeah. so they were showing you know a maps demo. And the, the thing that struck me that was very cool is like, let me schedule an event that triggers when I should leave. No, that's yeah, that's like maps and that calendar. was so cool. So yeah. it's like I want to I want to drive to your place, Dave, in New Hampshire. So uh, allegedly, you know, if I put it into the new maps, uh, it will it will then offer me the option saying, okay, well, you know, I know the traffic and stuff like that. So, John, you should probably leave. You know, about I think it's like three hour drive or three and a half hour drive. Sure between between us and and to me that's just a, a wonderful usability win and it also <laughs> blocks out your calendar for travel or can at your option block out your calendar for travel time so you won't be scheduling you know if you have a one o'clock meeting an hour away well scheduling a twelve thirty meeting uh is is not feasible you and i know this it's crazy that up until now, no calendar software has done it. I'd always kind of look to the BusyCal guys to, you know, to do that because they do a lot of cool things. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, so you know next, what? Yeah, iOS 7. Yeah, go ahead. Go. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll go to iOS 7. I have, I, I, I did an interview today and I got some juicy information, juicy technical information, but we'll talk about it in a minute. Go ahead. iOS 7 is good. Well, I'll let you start because I, I kind of glossed over. Okay. Yeah. Part and let it- yeah, I, like I said, I'm 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 refraining from having an opinion about the the new layout uh, for a variety of reasons for right now. But um, but I do like there's two things that I mean it just awesome and I think done very well. Control Center has been necessary and and desired for what the last three iOS releases. Something to very quickly turn on airplane mode and Bluetooth and set your volume and all of that. So that 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 was. Uh, an obvious omission from iOS. Anybody that jailbroke their phone, the first thing you would install was SB settings so that you could have this functionality. Many of us who jailbreak phone jailbroke our phones did it solely for that functionality that myself included. So um, it's great to see that, uh, you know, coming into to iOS proper that that's necessary. So very happy about that. Uh, and the other is the way they're doing multitasking. Um, this was something that had to happen. Um, the, well, you know, that's always been a, a point of, I think, confusion in, in general, Dave, in the iOS world is that uh, so the conventional line that most people offer is that if an app is not in front, it's not doing anything, though there are some exceptions. And I think that's what they tried to address with this better multitasking in that I think most users assume if an app's not up front, it's not doing anything it's not consuming any processor or bandwidth well but i mean okay that hasn't that hasn't been entirely true. accurate that hasn't been true for a while right i mean with the, the, because multitasking is not new to ios right we've had it with music apps we've right, had it sure. with, with navigation apps right things that are obviously needing to run in the background and and could get a you know you you uh, the developer when they write the app says i need to multitask and here's why and and so they provision it that way but What's great about this is they're they're doing it. You know, I, I mean, listen. There, there's a lot of people with smart ideas, but uh, it, it they're doing it in a way that I think is really really smart. 
I have apps that sit in the background on my phone and I don't need every one of them to check, uh, you know, it, like a weather app or even like triage, my third party email management app. I would love for that thing to go out and be able to check for email on, uh, in the background, but I don't need it to do it on its schedule. You know, if I say every 15 minutes, I want this app to go in the background and check email, that's fine. But what if I have another app that I say every 15 minutes, I want you to check for something, but they're doing it three minutes apart. Well, now I'm checking, you know, I'm firing up a network connection, which is very costly from a power standpoint. And, and what they're doing is this piggybacking thing where an app can say, Hey, you know, uh, once an hour, but not any more frequently than every 15 minutes, uh, I want you to, I want to go get some data. And so they just like hang their little hook on the, hang their, their request on the hook. And when the OS comes through and says, up, oh, it's time, we're going to, we know what everybody needs. So we're going to go ahead and make a network request. And this fits within your parameters, Mr. Application. So we're going to go ahead and do your, your network request too. We'll let you know what we get. And, uh, I think that's brilliant. It, you know, it's it's absolutely perfect. It's the right way to do it because you're doing one network connection, then everything stops, uh, and and so you're very power efficient and and even network efficient. Yeah. Uh, so it's good. Yeah. yeah. So they refine the multitasking model because yeah. Um, for those that don't know, but just a, a little uh, primer here. So so there are you know basically two types of multitasking. One is called cooperative, which is what early OSs did, which basically the app said. I'm running the show here, and when I want to give up the processor, then I will. And then the other is um, preemptive, I believe, multitasking. Right. Which is, you know, everybody, you know, the OS kind of schedules everybody, you know, based on their needs and, you know, when they say they want stuff and all that. And uh, But it sounds like they were fine, especially in light of the fact that, yeah, I mean, certain operations on a portable device are very expensive. And I think we've all seen this, is that especially when things are running location services, your battery gets sucked dry. <laughs> yeah, network access and location, depending on how they're doing location services. I mean, a lot of times right. location services doesn't use the GPS chip at all, right? You, you, can, you can set what level of location you want to get. And if it's just getting it from cell and and wi-fi you know the assisted stuff that's actually not all that costly and you can tell the thing you know update only when it makes sense so yeah but network access is is uh is a big one yeah yeah it's yeah. good so a couple other points about ios 7 Go. um app store automatic updates yeah, that, we I get that like, in os uh, 10 too <sighs> i like i actually well, like well no that. but uh, uh, my read uh, on this though was that it'll happen there's an option where it will happen whether you want it to or not, and I I do not approve of that. Well, that's that. But but what you just said was there's an option whether you want it or not, and and there's an option, and if you want it, you get it. Okay. And if you don't right, want so it, so you can't you don't turn it, it off. Okay. I, good. That was my. I have not used it, so I can't speak definitively. But that was the my interpretation was, if you can turn this auto updates on, and then it good. just happens, which is freaking awesome, by the way. For for me, it drives me crazy. Uh, to go and, you know, like we're getting ready to go on a trip or something. No, my family never updates their apps. And, and so we're getting ready to go on a trip and, and like, you know, we use Plex in the house and suddenly everybody says, Oh, I'm having trouble getting Plex to work with the server. It's like, Oh, well, when was the last time you updated the apps on your iPhone? You know, you look at the, the icon on their, their app store and it's like, you know, 78 or something. It's like, Oh dude, you got to pay attention to this. Now they don't have to pay attention. 
Now you, I just mm-hmm. will set it and it'll update in the background and they're happy. And if you're a geek and you, you know, like us and you want to know what the changes are before you press the update button. Hey, I think I'm, I'm 99% certain that that is still an option. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. Um, the photo update I think is cool. And mm. this was another quote that I thought was great is, um, uh, who said it? I, I, I forgot who, who was presenting it, but he, but, but he Craig, said, um, Craig Federighi. Probably, yes, yes. And and the one statement that I thought was awesome, he was like, this is what their photo, photo organization looks like. An endless, unorganized stream of their camera roll, but it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes. I mean, it. this is one of those things where, it, and, and it's the only way to begin to solve this problem. Apple has to come up with an organizational scheme and then they impose it on all of us. But But that's better than no organizational scheme, I think. So let's see what happens. Well, people have been trying to do this, Dave. I mean, whether it be iPhoto or Aperture or yeah. Lightroom or whatever. And actually, one thing that a, a lot of my uh, Mac friends, especially uh, photographers, both pro, semi-pro and all that, were very disappointed that Apple seems to be neglecting Aperture, which is very sad because it's a very powerful app, and especially yeah. since the price drop. I like Aperture, but they, they seem to be ignoring it, which is... Again, sad. Other other programs are, are you know, passing it as far as uh, abilities and yep. and all of that. But um, the thing is, yeah, people have for the most part, you know, with the assistance of apps like iPhoto or Aperture, Lightroom, have been coming up with their own way of organizing their photos. You know, some of the apps have tried, you know, whether it be you know with the EXIF data or you know when when the photo was taken and and stuff embedded in the photo to organize it in a way that makes sense, but. It sounds like, uh, you know, I think everybody agrees that, that there could be a better way to automate this so that the apps, uh, like, you know, hopefully iOS 7, <laughs> will do a better job of uh, uh, of organizing this in, in a manner that makes sense to people and makes it easier for you to get to the photos that you want. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, I want to... Uh I want to talk about, I think that's a good stuff spot to wrap up. I'm sure we'll obviously revisit these things when they come out and, and certainly um, as questions come in and all that stuff, but uh, that's as good a spot to wrap this, uh, this WWDC portion of our chat uh, up. So I will, uh, there is one tip that I want to share uh, uh, and there's actually lots that we want to share and we've got some time. So the first thing I want to do is talk about our first sponsor, which is uh, Gazelle. Gazelle.com is an excellent place to go if you need to uh, sell your old Apple hardware. So let's say, for example, that you uh, want to, you know, took a look and, and see that you've got a, an iPhone 3GS, which uh, is not going to run iOS 7 according to Apple, right? We need iPhone 4 and later you need something with Retina. Well, uh, go ahead and sell your 3GS to Gazelle and take that cash and go buy, you know, maybe an iPhone 5 with that or even a, you know, a 4S. Uh, and the, uh, the the way you do it, it's awesome. It, it, and they make it so easy. You go to gazelle.com, you tell them you have something to sell. You say, I have an iPhone. They ask what model, what size, what condition it's in. And then they tell you a price. And if you like the price, they send you a box free of charge in the box is instructions and a piece of tape and so and some packing material really creative packing material uh what they do is they have this this like floating piece of cardboard inside the box and over the cardboard is a piece of plastic and it's tight 
and you take the iPhone and you slide it under the piece of plastic so it's kept right in there, but there's no packing peanuts and foam and it's really just kind of held in, in there. Um, and it's a nice sturdy box. And so you, you close up the box, you put the tape on it, you put the label on it and send it back to them. Again, no charge to you. Once they get it, they open it up, evaluate it, make sure that it is what you said it was, and also that the condition matches uh, what uh, you know what what you said. If it is, they send you your money immediately. If there's any questions, they will uh, email you and say, "Hey, look, we evaluated it. It's uh, actually a 3G, not a 3GS, or it's a uh, you know good condition as opposed to excellent, or sometimes it's excellent and not good." And so they'll say, we want to offer you a different amount of money, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, and if you agree, well, then they uh, send you your money. If you don't agree, they send you your device back uh, again, free of charge. So all the shipping is paid for by them and it happens really, really fast. So if you have anything that you need to send to Gazelle or that you need to sell, sell it to Gazelle, gazelle.com. Uh, Sometimes it's fun just to take a look there so you get a kind of a feel in your head of what things are worth. Maybe you have an iPad 3 like me. Someday you might want an iPad mini. It's fun to go and look uh, and think, okay, well, you know, actually that offsets the cost of the mini. Maybe I can do that. You know, got to, you know. So check it out, gazelle.com to sell all your, uh, sell you all your stuff off. Uh, so I promised nice. that I had a, I promised, yeah, I promised that I had a tip, John. I had an interview today that is one that I've been wanting to have for years. Oh. Yep. Uh, I, and it happened literally just before I came you up You gave to me record. a heads up, but I think this is a program that, that you and I both love to death. It, so. Yes. So I met with Alf Watt, who most of you know as the brains behind, the developer behind iStumbler. Uh, and iStumbler is a program that, if you haven't used it, uh, it's very handy. It allows you to... See what it does is it goes out and pulls all of the wireless uh, networks and devices around you, shows you everything, and really then becomes a handy tool to help you decide where to place your base station, what channel to put your base station on, uh, and all of that stuff. So I've all we John, you and I have talked about iStumbler many times. Well, last year, I believe it was last year, maybe two years ago, I emailed Alf and said, as I do with many people, hey, I'm going to be at WWDC. I would love to interview you. And he wrote back and said, oh, yeah, I love it. You guys talk about iStumbler all the time, but there's no freaking way I can let you interview me because I work for Apple. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. Really? As it turns out, Alf, when so, he, he worked for Apple. So, for so wait, you can't interview people that uh, – what? Do they have a uh, – well, I guess you got to go through their PR. You gotta, channels, right? Yeah, I would have to go through PR channels, right? Exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Alf was at Apple, he worked on and wrote the – um, wireless software for Mac OS 10. So here we were being able to use this utility to help us, this free utility from Alf to iStumbler to help us decide what to use, where to, where to put our wireless networks. And it was written by the same guy that was writing the airport code uh, that was in all of the Macs that we were then going to, to use. And uh, so I was very excited about that. But Alf uh, has moved on. He, he left Apple sometime in the past year, so I was able to interview him. And that interview will go up on TMO uh, at some point over the next couple of days. And it was a fantastic interview. He's obviously a, a total wireless geek. And in the middle of the interview, I, 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 had, the, I had one of those moments, John, where you know the heavens opened and, and I, I had inspiration. And I asked him, I said, wait a minute, I've got you here. 
I need to ask a question. I said, what's your opinion on SSID names with mixed networks? So if I have a 2.4, if I have a base station, which many of us have, that has both 2.4 and 5 gigahertz or even two different base stations serving that same thing, but all on the same network, should I name the networks the same or should I name them different? So should I have, you know, Dave 2.4, Dave 5 gigahertz, or should I just call the network Dave? And Based without- on what I've seen in at least my last corporate uh, encounter, or at least, you know, big corporate encounter, they would name it the same. They'd be like, whatever you get, you get. It's like, all right, we're going to name it all, you know, company name, whatever, and whatever you pick up, you, you pick up, and hopefully you pick up the best one. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that was Alf's advice. Was He said, you name it exactly the same. And he said, you let the devices figure it out. Um, now, he's trusting the devices, and understandably so. He, he wrote them, um, you know, so uh, I, I get that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. So, uh, it, but I've seen it before where, you know, you have to pick five gigahertz versus 2.4 gigahertz. And so that's how I had always set my network up at home. But, uh, but I will change that now as soon as I get home uh, and let my devices sort it out for themselves. And he went in, he went into great detail as to why this is and, and uh, um, bandwidth of, of channels and, and all of this. And again, that'll be in the interview. And, and if the audio of the interview is good enough, I will put up the raw audio for you all to hear too. So, Well, yeah. you know, I found it funny, Dave, because my most recent uh, experience in a corporate environment was that I got one of the latest iMacs. And uh, the environment I was in had a Cisco, I think somewhat dated, access point. And so I fired up the iMac. Uh, said connect to this, gave it the password. Uh, sadly, they were using WEP, which, uh, oh gosh. We could crack that with our <laughs> iPhones, John. Uh, yeah, I could crack that, you know, my sleep. No, but, uh, but still, but the thing, the funny thing is that for whatever reason, the iMac chose to connect to it at 802.11a, 5 gigahertz. I'm like, really? Really? But apparently it made the right choice because apparently, uh, from what I could see, that was. So I think there has to be some decision making in the uh, you see, know Wi-Fi stack. That, that's saying, what. All right, here's the options that are available to me. So so obviously it's not just 802.11a and five gigahertz, but it probably also it, well it did have 2.4 gigahertz and and other stuff. And I, I don't know why it made the decision, but what, it, it looked to be the best one. Was your router not uh, N capable? Oh no, it was. Oh no, it had N. G and A. Then I would. And I think I, B. I would ask. I'll, I'll ask Alf about about this. But my feeling is that it made a terrible decision um, because really. It, well, in yeah, this case, well, here's I was why. Very oh, close. Actually, I'm I, very close to it, Dave. No, I know why. So the thing is, hey, hang okay. on, hang on, hang on. So I'll tell you why I think it Go. made a terrible decision, and then I'll tell you why exactly why it made this decision. <laughs> yeah. So terrible decision because 802.11a <laughs> is limited to 54 uh, megabytes a second. Right, megabits a oh, second. Sorry, you told me about this. Yes. Yeah. So eight hundred two dot eleven. No, 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 no. 802.11a over five gigahertz, which is the only uh, bandwidth that it can can or the only spectrum it can use, is eight hundred two dot eleven a is five uh, fifty four megabytes a second. That's it. Uh, the same as eight hundred two dot eleven g. It just happened that one happens to be uh, two point four gigahertz. If you had eight hundred two dot eleven n available. There's no good reason, except one, which you alluded to, uh, that you wouldn't choose N 
instead of A because N can go 300 versus 54. It doesn't mean it's going to go 300, but certainly why not have the headroom and why not have the more efficient uh, data transfer? And the reason is WEP. 802.11n cannot work with with WEP encryption. It is it is part of the spec of 802.11n that it is not allowed to let you connect with WEP encryption. Uh, it could, but it won't. No, because well, I mean, they're like it. it yeah, it I technically guess it, it could, but sure. they put this limitation, and I think Correct. and it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You bet. You you can do it with no encryption, and 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 the reason is people they wanted they. The Wi-Fi group wanted to ensure that people had secure connections when they thought they had secure connections. And so if you have no password, you know it's not secure. But if you have a password, it cannot be WEP, and that's why it chose A, because it because it couldn't choose N. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it could choose N. It, you can choose N, but it will limit you to 54 megabytes a second mm-hmm. um, is how that how that works. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. So I st- I maintain that I still think it made a stupid uh, decision because it yeah. could have chosen N yeah. and limited it to fifty four. Actually, now that I think about it, I think this access point may not have had. I don't know if it had N. Yeah, yeah. Well, then it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where um, are we, Dave? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> let's go through some uh, some commentary Questions? from the last show. Uh, <laughs> no, well, the first, comments. Good. The first thing I wanted to address was. We talked about the plus sign uh, when putting phone numbers into the iPhone. We got a ton of email. Thank you, everybody. Uh, about we are this. woefully untraveled, uh, no, Dave. Well, we're we're very yes. <laughs> you and I are, are not very well traveled because for people that travel internationally, I think that the and this was the feedback that I think both you and I saw is that the this is pretty much what people do. Yeah, for, but if you travel internationally, international calls, and you don't know this, this is handy stuff. So Simon wrote. Uh, and and thank you to everybody uh, in addition to Simon who wrote uh, into us, but I'm just going to read the one. Simon wrote, uh, you asked in episode 452, what is the plus sign used for when dialing phone numbers? Simply put, it is the country exit code, which varies depending upon the country that you are calling from when you are calling another country. When dialing abroad, the number you would dial would take the following format. Exit country, then the country code then the city code, then the local exchange, then the local number. Sometimes in various countries and cities, the local exchange and local number is one merged string. It all dates back to the, to the days of fixed landline phones, which we remember having just 12 keys, 0 through 9, star, and pound. But before that had dials of just 0 through 9. When automatic exchanges were introduced, initially through mechanical pulse dialing and then electronic exchanges, this format became internationally standard. You could then dial any phone anywhere in the world from any other phone. But if you were in the same exchange, you just dialed the local number. If you're in the same city but different exchanges, you would then dial the exchange code and the local number, etc., etc. All the country codes are the same regardless of what country you're calling from. North America, including USA, Canada, and Caribbean, is 1. UK is 44. France is 33. And so on. However, the country exit code does vary depending on the country you're calling from. The country exit code from the USA is 011, but from the UK, it is 00. So to call the same number in France, country code 33, from the US, you would dial 01133, and then the number. But from the UK, you would dial 0033. Mobile phones, uh, cellular phones, adopted a standard which gets around this by replacing the country exit code with plus. 
So that way, no matter what country you're in, you will automatically dial the correct exit code. Thank you so much, Simon. You you put that together in a way that uh, certainly made me understand it perfectly and, and hopefully uh, everybody else as well. So thank you. So it sounds to me like the phone has to be aware of where it is and then it will do the right thing when it sees the plus. And presumably the phone is aware of where it is if it has a signal because it's right. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I, I don't even think the phone has to dial it. My, my, my understanding is the plus tells the local phone cell, get me right, out of right. the country. And, and so it, it, it's, I don't think it's the phone doing the logic, but I may be wrong, I, but I think it's the, the local cell doing, doing the logic. So um, I think we should do Todd, John, because I think this is one that, that you will have uh, good things to say about. Shall we? Oh, uh Okay, we'll skip the yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're uh, running we're I, running short I, on I, time. Yeah, yeah. I think I will. <laughs> I think you will. I, yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's hear let's go. hear it, Todd. Hey, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. This is Todd in Monticello, Minnesota. Quick question. I just recently got a, a crucial M five hundred, four hundred eighty gigabyte SSD, and I'd like to enable trim. But I search for trim on Google and I don't know if I trust all of these odd websites. Could you post what it is? Uh-oh. Oh, you know what? I screwed that up. Let me. Sorry, Todd. If I trust all of these odd websites, could you post what it is that needs to be done in the terminal that will enable term support for my new SSD? And as an aside question, also looking for an alternative to Flash. So there's extensions, plugins, possibly for Safari that you could implement but I've read some reviews and they're kind of iffy um if you have an answer for that one as well um that'd be great anyways this is where you cut me off and we will i will cut you off again this time at the right time so um very briefly but but not uh, very uh, uh we won't get too deep into the technical aspects of it or we'll see how deep we get so when you have an ssd um you have uh, that it takes time to write data to it. Uh, and you can't write on a hard drive. You can write data to any spot on the drive. And if something was there previously, it will simply be overwritten on an SSD. In order to write data to any spot on the drive, it needs to be empty first. And so if you go to write to something that has data, if it's not empty, the draw, you have to first empty it, which takes time, and then you can write to it. To make things faster for the user, there is an operating system-based construct or, or technology that's called TRIM, T-R-I-M. And what it does is it knows what things have been marked as erased but not actually erased on the SSD. And so... It will, in the background, go out, and when things aren't so busy on the drive, it will go out and erase these things. Trim is only enabled on Apple-shipped SSDs. So uh, if you have a third-party SSD, you don't automatically get the benefit of this trim. Third-party SSDs, because of this, have implemented their own what they call garbage collection. 
but their own garbage collection only will happen when the drive is idle and active. So if you have the system set to put your drive to sleep anytime it is not active uh, or anytime that it is, it is, uh, would be idle, then it's possible this garbage collection would never happen. And then things would get really slow when you go to write to the drive as the drive fills up. So uh, there's a couple of options here. And this is why Todd's asking about trim. Uh, one option would be to uh, enable trim through an OS hack. And there is a, a thing called trim, trim enabler that will hack the OS to allow trim to be enabled for non-Apple drives. And the other is to go into energy saver and turn on or turn off the put the drive to sleep part so that the drive will stay on and do its garbage collection. Um, I would go, and I know there's a lot of different advice out there. I would actually let the OS do it. Uh, if the drive supports trim, there's no reason not to, uh, in my mind, no reason not to let the OS do that. Thoughts, John? Um, my only thought is that from what I've seen of the hacks, some of them, the the way that the hack was done makes me nervous. Okay. In that I don't know if it's sustainable across OS versions and stuff like that. Um, I would actually... Uh, I don't know. You you may be shocked here, but I actually would probably shy away from second guessing what what the uh, SSD manufacturer does. And you know, in the case of OWC and and others, they have implemented their own alternative. Well, that that's the garbage collection, right? That I yeah, talked I, about. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I but that won't work if if you leave your OS at default settings. The garbage collection does not work the way it's supposed to. Because your hard drive will go to sleep, and it will never happen. Yeah, as long as... So I guess to me, the the quality of the trim hacks... Um, so number one, you could get around this by buying an Apple SSD, of course. Right. But number two, I, 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 I'm hesitant to support a hack that enables a feature that, you know, is normally not available. Uh, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm... You know, I mean, you would think, John, you're a geek, and you should support hacking and getting the most performance, but but it just makes me worry in that if something isn't done right with this hack, that, that, that you know, things could go awry. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think, I mean, I, you know, Apple was al is always errs on the side of being cautious with this stuff, right? Um, but I, I, you know, my feeling is if the drive itself advertises the, the, these trim enablers won't do anything if the SSD that you've bought doesn't support trim in the first place, right? It 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 is a uh, cooperative technology between the drive and the OS. So if the drive doesn't support it, nothing's going to happen. But if the drive, yeah, and it's basically the OS saying, "Hey, clean these up," so the next time you see these cells or whatever you want to call them, yeah. Uh, the writing will be quicker because they're clean. And I think that's, that's really the essence of trim. Right. Um, that's exactly it. That's right. And the garbage collection does the same thing, but it, you know, I did a lot of research when, when Todd's question came in about, you know, what's going on with this garbage collection and there's advice. And, and I mean, we're talking about from, from real vendors like, like crucial and, and OWC and, and specifically with crucial, I found a lot of posts that they put on their forums saying, yeah, so um, what you need to do in order to let the drive uh, on a Mac 
in order to let the drive do its own garbage collection is you need to manually trigger the uh, garbage collection by starting up your Mac, but holding down options so that you get the list of drives that you want to boot from and then just let oh, your the startup Ma- manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The startup manager and then let your Mac sit there for a while because the drive is powered up, but it is completely not being used. It's not even mounted. And that will kick in the automatic garbage collection. Now, you get no notification because it's just the drive doing it internally, and you have no idea when it's finished. But that was their solution to you know either that or you have to turn off the energy saver stuff. It's like, gosh, you know, uh, we have this trim enabler thing, and I get that Apple's being cautious, but I think if you're buying drives from a high-quality vendor, um, I, I think you're okay with, with trim, enab- trim enabler. That, that's, you know, but that, that's why we... That's why we're different people. We have different opinions. Yeah. Again, I, I would shy away. Uh, to me, the increase in speed and performance with an SSD uh, is enough to discourage me from doing a hack to squeak out that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, if anybody's done metrics on this, it'd be great, but I'm not sure how much extra performance you get. It can get pretty slow trim. without trim. Yeah, but but again, but it, you know, my again, my point is you're going way be. I mean, the, the SSD performance is way beyond uh, even the best mechanical drives. So it's like, right. you know, maybe but, it's, jo- maybe but it's John, good you know how you don't want to futz with it. You know how it is. Once you have, right, if you're using <laughs> no, if you're using the yes. speed of a mechanical drive as your baseline, I agree with you in, entirely. However. On day two of using an SSD, you are no longer using the speed of the mechanical drive as the baseline. You are using the speed of the SSD as the baseline. Now you're like, this sucks. I want it fast. I want it. Yes, fa- I understand. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? That's that's the thing. And you yeah. and the deal is you wouldn't run into any of these problems for months uh, because initially every sector on your drive is empty and and writable so it's only as you start churning things over on your drive that this kicks in so you've long forgotten about how slow your mechanical drive was and you are now in ssd land and ain't no way you're gonna you know want to want to wait for uh for the double write which is essentially what happens so right right right, or write erase or yeah yeah right yeah yeah exactly all right, uh, pick a question, John. Anything, or, or you want to tell your Tebow story? We've got a little bit of time left here. A little bit of time. You know, I think I think I'll tell my Tebow story yeah, go because ahead. I think it, it probably applies. Maybe to not everybody listening, but but certainly some. So, uh, as some of you know, Dave and I are big fans of Tebow. What is Tebow? Tebow is a digital video recorder. What does it do? In essence, it records programs that you can view later, and it stores them on a hard drive. Okay, well that's cool. You know, it's an interesting, uh, you know, hardware mix, and that you know it uses open source technology, and all that. But but the thing that concerns me, Dave, is that now that I look at it, is that uh, both you and I believe uh, purchased our TiVo Series Three, which is quite dated now, uh, superseded by others. But mine is almost six or seven years old, and I think yours is too. That's right. And when I think about it, Dave, these have a hard drive just like any other device. And actually, I'm looking at it right here. I have it in front of me, Dave. Yeah. So the hard drive in the device, and again, I'm, I, I, I was kind of shocked that the hard drive lasted this long because to me, uh, seven years is, is a good... Is it, is a is it an unusual. enterprise-grade drive? 
Well, that's what I'm not sure. Some people said this, uh, but basically, Dave, I'm looking at the drive. So the drive is a Western Digital WD2500 BS. And it just says WD Caviar. So to me, this is, uh, uh, for what I could tell, Dave, this is just a basic Western Digital desktop drive. Uh, three and a half inch form factor, right? I'm looking it up online. You know, I mean, it's old, so the specs are, you know, buried a little bit. But yeah, it doesn't seem to be anything special. So yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I think it's just the standard desktop drive. Now the thing is, it, 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 in the TiVo, I think the use of it is that it's pretty much running all the time, which I think in general, if you can do this, is, is probably the best option. And that you're not stressing the drive because it's always spinned up. There's always data being exchanged and stuff like that. And that's probably better than starting and stopping and starting and stopping and, and all that, which in you know my world <laughs> means that a drive will fail uh, more quickly if if you're constantly you know telling it to do different things. Um, but basically, what I got, Dave, and, and let me find the link here. Yeah, so, yeah, please. Uh, oh, where is it? So basically, I found a link, uh, a TiVo link. Yeah, I'll get it. Okay. We'll All put right. it in the show notes. But basically, so so I was like curious about this. So I'm like, you know what? This drive is getting to the end of its lifetime. What am I going to do? So the first thing I did is I, I looked up this drive, Dave, and then I found pretty much a compatible drive. I got it from B&H over uh, in Brooklyn. <laughs> and so, so, so this drive is a 250 gig drive. So I basically got what what I consider the same class of drive. Now, oddly enough, Dave, uh, getting this exact same drive cost more than getting a drive with double the capacity. Of course, yeah, because it's so the old one, one was a one 250. Tip to is that right? Yeah. So yeah. one one tip to people, yeah. So this is a 250. So uh, so the thing, one tip to people is that if you're going to upgrade old hardware. Getting the exact same part will cost you probably more because it's 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 nearing end of life and it's more expensive production-wise, and, and you get economies of scale and all that great stuff. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, even though I haven't really exceeded my TiVo uh, hard drive space, I'm like, you know what? Let me get a 500 gig instead of a 250. Um, so that's number one. Now, number two is, well, how do you do this? So number one, you have to pull out the screwdriver and you have to open up the TiVo. Of course. Which is basically a, you know, it's basically a, a Linux computer. And I think the, the drives actually use something called MFS. I, I believe it's Minix file system, which is uh, something I actually encountered when I was doing my under, undergraduate work. So, so it is a file system, which of course the Mac doesn't recognize. Uh, so the tools you would need to do this. So, so, so a couple of the tools. So one, Dave, is, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I had these. And I actually have two of them because they sent me one and then they sent me a better one. But the newer uh, drive, uh, I'm trying to think of the proper name of it, but it's basically their drive. The universal drive adapter? Universal drive adapter. What is it on one end? It's a USB 2 connector. I think it's right now USB 2. Maybe they have USB 3. I don't know. It's USB and on the other now. end. They have upgraded it. Oh, maybe they'll send me another one. Because <laughs> I had two. I had one an early model and one a later model. So they were both USB 2, and then they end in multiple adapters, either parallel ATA, SATA, or whatever. And th this is probably the best way for most people to, to accomplish the task. So number one, buy a new drive. Number two, get a couple of these adapters or either an enclosure. And then number three, and here's the hard part. So... Well, relatively hard part. Yeah, I'm curious so, uh, about this third part here because you've got a you've got a thing on the Minix file system, and you've got a 
do it precisely right so that your TiVo sees this new drive like its old one, right? Right. So what I found was an article, and I think this is the best place. So it's the TiVo community forums. Now, TiVo is awesome in that they support people, uh, not under warranty, but they support people talking about how to hack and enhance their devices. So basically, I found this wonderful article here, and uh, let me place, paste it in our awesome little chat room here. Uh, but basically, this is the thread that I found that told me how to do this. And so basically, I found the option here. So they're like, here's the options if you want to upgrade your TiVo. And the one that I found is option two, replace your built-in drive with a bigger drive. And then you click on a link saying uh, upgrade instructions. And this got into it. And the real core of this, Dave, so one, you got to get the right screwdrivers, uh, Torx 10 and Torx 15, open up the TiVo, or at least the one we have. Um, but again, once you do that, uh, you know, as long as you, you, you're not a, you know, <laughs> as long as you don't destroy electronics by looking at them, you then pull out the hard drive. Uh, but then you get a utility called WinMFS. Now you're saying, John, oh my gosh, this is a Windows utility. What am I going to do? Here's what I did, Dave. So I installed this. So I'm running Parallels 8. Are we up to 8? We I, are. I keep yep. track. Yep. So basically, I parallel. So thank you, Parallels. Uh, it was a promotional uh, copy here, and I, I uh, for for this purpose, Parallels did perfect. It was a review um, copy. There's no, there's no. It's not yes. promotional. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you review, stop using review, that. Word. I'm sorry. Yeah, I won't. Okay. It it was a review copy. Yeah. So Parallels eight running that uh, actually under Windows XP Service Pack three, but basically I got this utility, and and you'll see in the article called a. Uh, uh, Oh, uh, where is it? WinMFS. WinMFS. So yeah. what this utility does is basically understands this MFS uh, kind of unusual file format. You, have, you Now, you want to be careful because if you plug in one of these uh, SATA adapters, USB adapters, and you plug the drive in, Mac OS X is going to say, I don't know what this drive is. What do you want me to do? And it's like, sure. initialize, ignore, and it's like, uh, ignore, please. <laughs> Do right. not initialize it. So it knows it's a drive, it knows it's a valid drive, but it doesn't recognize the file format or, or the partition scheme or whatever you want to call it. Um, but this utility does. So basically what I did is I, uh, and kind of the cool part about Parallels, Dave, so I had it on my MacBook Pro, but I wanted to run this utility on my Mini. So I basically took the Parallels uh virtual drive and Vir brought it over or the virtual drive file so so basically the virtual yeah, machine file a, you mean yeah the virtual machine file so i basically took that and took it from my macbook pro because i didn't want to tie up my macbook pro because this is an operation that can take a while and i brought it over to my mini and then when i installed parallels it was like oh i see a drive image here uh by the way um I should probably generate a new MAC address for the uh, network interface because you're on a different machine, right? And I'm like, oh, cool. <clears throat> so hats off to Parallels. And the other thing that Parallels does is when you plug it in, or pretty much any USB device, most of, most of the VMs do this, but Parallels did it fine. It's like, hey, I see a device here on USB. Do you want me to give it to the Mac or the PC? And I'm like, give it to the PC. So once I ran the, uh, the WinMFS utility, and and you can read about this, but I'll go, you know, a high level. But basically it says, all right, here's your options. And actually I, I did the, the just OS backup option. So you can do two things. You can either back up the entire OS, and I would recommend to anybody, including you, Dave, who runs any sort of TiVo, make a backup. Using so you can start over so with a new drive, 
down the road if if my drive crash when my Correct. drive crashes. Yeah, Correct. actually, that's so really important. Does. Yeah, hang on for for TiVo users. Um, if your drive dies, your TiVo is still usable. If you put another drive in there with TiVo with the right TiVo OS on there, the problem is you can't get a drive with TiVo OS on it um, easily. Right. In fact, they one, will not sell it to you. They right. There's one place called Weak Knees that will sell you uh, TiVo drives, and they've they've uh, got a nice little business doing that. But but John's advice is copy just the OS and save it on a disk image and, you know, put it on your NAS drive or on some backup drive somewhere and just save it there. And then if your drive dies, get a new blank drive and use this WinFS, Win, uh, M- MFS utility to copy your old OS onto this one. And at least then you're back up and running. But the OS, you copied only the OS, John, right? Not your... Um, not your your TV shows, so you started from scratch. The thing is, the thing is, you can do that, but the thing is, right. the amount of time it would take, probably because of USB two and all that. I mean, when when it estimated it, it was like, yeah, it's going to take about five hours. And the thing is, you know, I'm thinking, it's not bad. Is the stuff I have? Well, no. Well, well, but to me, the thing is, the stuff I had stored on it really wasn't that important. I mean, it was you know old copies of old shows that have stopped, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to start from scratch. So the thing is, looking here, Dave, so, so I have a, a, actually a file here, TiVoSeries3.tbk, and it's about 300 megs. Okay, So that's if not anything, for TiVo, for TiVo owners, use this utility. If anything else, uh, I would say this is critical. If you want your TiVo to survive past when your hard drive will die, and it will die, right. it's just when. Um, making this backup file makes it trivial for you to then restore... Just the OS, and pretty much you're in a state where you got a, you know, a pretty much a freshly initialized TiVo. That's basically what I did. So I, you know, went from a 250 to a 500 gig drive, and my selection process was pretty much I looked at, you know, the similar, uh, you know, I got from B and H. Um, Actually, the most aggravating part was so B and H is in Brooklyn. They're a really good place. That you know, I bought I bought my mini from them and all all that. But Dave, here was the bizarre part. So they shipped it from Brooklyn, New York, to Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. to some city in Massachusetts, and then to me because I because you, I, you chose, I, I chose the cheap su- shipping. Well, I chose Super Saver, but it's like, dude. This was like shipped like to every state except. I mean, dude, you know, I'm I'm close to Brooklyn. Right. It's like I could drive to this place and pick it up. Whereas they stretch this out to but like chose, three or four days. You chose Super Saver. That's I mean. But I'm, you know, I'm wondering who's saving in that they 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 had to take the gas to drive it from Brooklyn, New York, right, to Pennsylvania, just to Massachusetts, you. to Connecticut. I'm like, yeah, yeah, couldn't you yeah. have just gone from like New York to Connecticut? Yeah, but they didn't have <laughs> they didn't have a truck doing that. So. <laughs> right. So uh, so basically, once I installed the new drive, um, everything was great. And it, basically, if you go to the info screen, it said, all right, instead of 35 hours HD capability, you now have 70. So That's awesome. But no, it made me happy. And, and uh, again, for any TiVo owners, no matter what drive you have in your TiVo, it's going to die. So you got to think about it. Yeah. But just like, I mean, it's a, it's a computer just like anything else. You know, it's, um, and yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die someday. Oh my gosh! Have we been here an hour, Dave? Yeah, yeah, we're we're pushing we're pushing oh the gosh. limits, man. Well, well, we got the questions next time, but yeah, yeah, it's good. We'll be back on. Uh, I I can't see the calendar right Monday? now. Monday, Sunday, Monday, something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put it we'll, we'll put it out there for you. Uh, so, yes, uh, if you want to send in questions, uh, send them to feedback at macgeekab.com. Right, John? I think I heard you, Dave. Uh, I believe you said, though, you know, I could be wrong, but I believe you said feedback. I said feedback at MacGeekUp.com. You can send us an email there. You can send us screenshots, audio comments, links, whatever you like. Crash logs even. That seems to be a popular attachment that we get these days. And we're happy to help you pour through those. Uh, You can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is? 4335. But, hey, there's more. If you want to contact us on the Twitters, um, the publication or the podcast is Mac Geekab. I am John Abron. He is Dave Hamilton. The other guy is Pilot Pete. And the publication is Mac Observer. All in first. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mac Geekab. You can also find us at Google Plus. We will put a link to that in the show notes too because it's a big, long, ugly URL. And uh, when we are streaming, and we will post to those two places, Google Plus and Facebook, we will post events there. So uh, you can see when the next stream is happening, if you're interested. Uh, and then you follow us at MacGeekUp.com slash stream. And John, I think that does it. And we can uh, we can start moving our way out of here. Um, we do, before we do, though, I want to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast and GetAppLure.com for converting this show to AAC for us and for you. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Of course, you heard about gazelle.com to sell all your stuff. Also, BB Edit from Bare Bones Software, Text Expander, and PDF Pen from Smile Software. From Smile, I should say, at smilesoftware.com. And, uh, and of course, Squarespace for your easy hosting and more. I'll be back being idiots. Well, John, I have to uh, travel home tomorrow. I'm on a 6 a.m. flight home. So uh, do you have any advice for me before I do? Um, <laughs> just avoid the TSA. <laughs> Otherwise, you may get caught. Made up.